Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guest is Jerry Paul, and Jerry is with Capital Access, and he has been working closely with AGLCA and our coalition of associations on making sure that the anchorages in Florida remain open for our use. Before we officially start the discussion with Jerry, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneto, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Jerry Paul, thank you for joining me today on Great Loop Radio. Well, it's a pleasure, Kim. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with the broader host, the broader community of voters who are affiliated through AGLCA, and uh, want to echo your comments about your sponsors and the important role that they play in helping to protect Florida's rich maritime history, which includes the freedom to anchor our vessels. Thank you. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And thank you to them. Um, one of the reasons I asked Jerry to join us today, for those of you listening who maybe are not members or haven't seen the posts that we've put out there, the legislative session in Florida just ended in the, the last couple of weeks, and we were successful in keeping the anchorages that are not currently affected by some of the, the restrictions, uh, keeping them open. So I thought it would be a great time to bring Jerry on and let him kind of fill us in on how the session went this time around. Um, but Jerry, for those who have not come across you before, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure, Kim, be glad to. So uh, by way of a uh, brief background, I used to serve in the Florida legislature, and so I have uh, almost uh, three decades of experience seeing these issues, uh, including the ones that uh, commonly crop up regarding questions about whether and the extent to which and where vessels can anchor. My background was uh, Merchant Marine Academy, uh, the main maritime academy, and then sailed in the U.S. Merchant Marine, was a, a former uh, engineer there, uh, but also uh, a licensed uh, charter boat captain prior to that, and I'm currently a 100-ton uh, licensed captain as we speak. As I said, I served in the Florida legislature. I'm an attorney and an engineer, and for much of the year, I live aboard a cruising vessel, a 49 DeFever trawler. So these issues uh, touch and concern uh, my private life. I see it all the time, which gives me a good background and good, uh, a good basis for communicating to policymakers on the state level as these issues come up. And I, I think it's a great match, and that's why we've been uh, working with you, Jerry, with our coalition for several years now, because obviously you understand the issues and are uh, very helpful in making sure that the, the current group of legislators also understand the issues. So we thank you for that. For those who haven't followed what's going on in Florida, and I should mention it, it does sound too many like we spend an inordinate amount of time working on Florida, uh, but it is a big portion of the Great Loop, but it is also a bellwether state. So if Florida is successful in limiting some anchorages for different reasons, there is certainly a fear that that will spread to other states. So that, that's part of the reason why we're focusing on Florida. But for those who have not heard about this issue, Jerry, kind of give us a recap of what's happened over the past several years that has uh, left some cruisers feeling like Florida is a bit unfriendly towards anchoring. 
I'd be glad to, Kim. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, certainly, Florida has long been recognized as the boating capital of America. Some would say the the pleasure cruisers capital of the world. And for that reason, it does tend to be a bellwether or a pace setter state. Uh, even long before Florida's own statehood, going back almost 400 years, we've enjoyed a rich maritime history. Of course, vessels explored Florida first, even before man explored uh, the land side. So boats have been here long before buildings, long before condominiums, long before highways, roads, and cars. However, uh, like everywhere else, the demographics of this state uh, change over time as more and more people move here to enjoy uh, the wonderful climate and the, and the coastal saltwater lifestyle. Unfortunately, however, over time, uh, that changing population and the demographics of that tend to take us a little bit further away from our rich maritime history. And so over the years, over many years, um, there's been increasing efforts to limit the extent to which vessels can anchor offshore. You know, that's due to a host of uh, factors. Some of it is cultural, uh, some of it's legitimate. Uh, certainly some uh, persons uh, simply don't want to see a boat in their backyard. The, you know, the NIMBY concept, not in my backyard. Some of that is based upon, you know, arguably legitimate concerns about nuisance. Uh, nuisance um, in the context of a tiny, tiny percentage of our boating community uh, whose vessel operators may be engaged in conduct that's uh, offensive to others. But the vast majority of that nuisance-based opposition to anchoring is really based upon aesthetics. People who live on land and see that water as their backyard and don't want to see boats there. Of course, we point out uh, diplomatically, as it were, that the water is not anybody's backyard. It's everybody's yard and it, uh, it's in the public trust and it's for use by everybody. Certainly some of the opposition comes from folks who have legitimate concerns about derelict vessels, vessels that have been abandoned uh, and are at risk of sinking or becoming a, an environmental hazard. Uh, and those are real issues that we've addressed by, by statute. Uh, some of the opposition comes from people who uh, make the assumption that all vessels that are anchored must be discharging their sanitary tanks. Uh, to them, uh, that is to say people who aren't familiar with the cruising lifestyle or even boats for that matter, they don't see a city sewer system hooked up to a boat and they don't see people getting off the boat and going ashore every time they uh, need a bathroom facility. So they make the false assumption that all of those vessels must be discharging into the water and that forms the basis for some of the opposition. Um, there's certainly concerns, too, about uh, vessels that anchor uh, dragging, uh, their anchors dragging, uh, particularly during periods of storms, and therefore uh, drifting and causing damage to shoreside infrastructure such as, such as docks. Uh, there's some folks who oppose anchoring uh, and make their way to Tallahassee and essentially argue that people on the water living on boats are uh, freeloaders, as it will, uh, as it were, uh, they're not paying taxes uh, like we property owners are, and so there's a bit of that theme that I hear from time to time. Uh, the vast majority of the opposition, in effect, comes down to uh, a bit of a culture clash, and, and quite frankly, uh, a disconnect between the growing body of policymakers who do not have uh, particular experience with boats on the water uh, versus those who do. And so it's our task and our honor and, 
and uh, privilege to be the ones who uh, stand up and speak out and and make sure that that there is broader information about how this boating and cruising lifestyle really works and what protective measures are already in place in order to address all of those concerns that I mentioned a moment ago. Right. And as you said, Jerry, a lot of the concerns are legitimate. And I think that I certainly and most of our members would agree that some of those legitimate concerns do need to be addressed. Um, It just it seems that the true cruisers who are not anchoring someplace for months at a time and who are not leaving their boat unattended are kind of have kind of been caught up in this issue. And I think that's where some of the frustration with the members of AGLCA and MTOA and Defever owners and Seven Seas Cruising Association, it all, you know, comes down to the people who are active in the, these communities are the ones who are responsible boaters and are getting caught up in some of these very legitimate issues. And the result of this a few years ago, Jerry, was that some of the anchorages, just a handful in Florida were closed to overnight anchoring. Can you just give us a little bit of background on that? Sure. Uh, the most contemporary um, organized effort to limit anchorages began uh, in earnest back in 2014 and 15 sessions when there were efforts to put legislation in place statewide saying that no vessel can anchor within a certain distance of any uh, upland residential properties. Uh, at that time, a host of uh, wonderful associations and their members, including America's Great Loop Cruising Association, Seven Seas Cruising Association, Marine Trawler Owners Association, and the Defever uh, Users Group, came together and retained professional uh, governmental affairs consulting lobbyists in Tallahassee and was successful in defeating that legislation. They defeated it again um, through that engagement the following year. But then we, as a community, we took a pause for a year and were not represented in the Capitol. And there was a a well-funded effort by a small group of property owners uh, combined with a couple of legislators and lobbyists who were very motivated to put in place a statute, which exists to this day, that is titled Anchorage Limitation Areas, and it carves out or specifically enumerates four locations where uh, small anchorages, where uh, boating is, uh, where anchoring is not allowed. Since that time, those associations led by AGLCA and MTOA um, have been engaged every single year and have prevented that list from expanding. But that small list does still exist. Each year, there are efforts to add to that list, and each year, including this year, uh, our broader community that participates in this effort is able to uh, keep that list from expanding any further, and also to be there in the halls of the Capitol to help manage other emerging issues, such as the recent one um, revolving around a newly defined class of boats called stored vessels, and uh, I'll address that uh, when, uh, at the appropriate time when, when you'd like to s- discuss it. Yeah, we'll jump into that in a minute. But uh, basically, as Jerry explained, because some of these anchorages are by statute, uh, don't allow overnight anchoring, it became very easy for other cities and municipalities to just try and add themselves to that list. So Jerry, uh, the city of Hollywood has kind of perennially been one of those um, who's looking to close some of their anchorages. How did that go this year with the city of Hollywood? 
Um, we fared very well, ultimately, although it's uh, always a bit of a, a struggle to make sure that our message gets through and make sure that uh, the facts on the water, as it is, uh, make it to uh, the grounds of policy making. Uh, just to go back slightly on that, um, for most of Florida's history up until two years ago, local governments had the municipal or county authority to adopt local ordinances restricting anchoring within their territorial areas uh, in the coastal waterways. That created somewhat of a patchwork where many of our cruisers uh, throughout the state and cruisers who come from all over America and all over the, the, the world uh, were confused about whether they're crossing into the territorial boundaries of one county versus another as they move along coastal Florida and whether they can anchor and how long they can anchor and where they can anchor. So two years ago, uh, as a major victory of the associations led by ATLCA and MTOA, uh, we put in place a preemptive provision in state statute, which in effect says that no local government can pass any local laws relating to anchoring. The only laws that can be adopted must be done in one location in the capital by the legislature. So that was a major victory for us. However, there are some local governments that attempt to uh, find a loophole or a, a way around that. Um, the most recent one, um, uh, the city of Melbourne attempted to redefine um, live aboard vessels, which they do have some authority over, but they attempted to redefine it to include all vessels, therefore giving them an end run around the state preemption language. Uh, similarly, the city of Hollywood has two anchorages in its area, North and South Lake, where uh, there are a fair number of boats at times, times that anchor there and a robust host, a small but robust host of uh, waterfront property owners who would like to eliminate anchoring in those two spots. And for the last uh, two or three sessions, uh, their lobbyists have pushed fairly hard uh, on the state level to get themselves added to the list of banned anchorage, anchorages. Fortunately, uh, legislators uh, deliberating over those issues chose to instead defer to the host of uh, laws and restrictions and regulations that already exist. And therefore, the city of Hollywood's provision and the uh, city of Melbourne's provisions did not get adopted. So, so overall, uh, Jerry, I think you would agree with this statement, but overall, this legislative session that just ended was really a big win for our interests. Would you agree? Indeed. And there are no new uh, anchoring restrictions. Um, nothing was added to any bill that we need to be concerned about as we're anchoring, correct? That's correct. That's correct. There were no state laws passed and no local ordinances can be passed uh, uh, this year that would further restrict anchoring in coastal Florida waters. There were a couple of measures that we addressed this year, and I'd be glad to uh, speak to those at, at, uh, at your prompt. Yeah, I would love to do that. Let's take a, a quick moment and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll jump into, you know, since no new anchoring restrictions passed, we'll cover a little bit more about what did pass, because some of those things are certainly going to be of interest to our listeners. So we'll be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. 
Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.net keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. Order yours today at the AGLCA Ship Store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Jerry Paul of Capital Access. Jerry is filling us in on the recently ended legislative session in the state of Florida. And we've already covered the fact that no new anchoring restrictions were passed. So let's move on to uh, a bill that did pass that included several different uh, provisions of interest to our members. And you kind of uh, alluded to the the, um, long-term stored vessels a few minutes ago. So why don't we start there? Tell us about that. Sure. And, you know, this, this issue of, quote, stored vessels is one that's been emerging for a while. And what we're referring to by a stored vessel is one that's been essentially parked and abandoned uh, by its owner and is not being maintained. Uh, nobody is living aboard it or even supervising that vessel for long, long periods of time. Uh, that creates a host of problems. Um, one, for those of us who uh, live and anchor on the water, it certainly can tie up areas in the in anchorages. Two, it can become a safety hazard. Three, it can become a an environmental hazard. And four, it creates a very poor image for the responsible boaters and cruisers who are out there who maintain their vessels, uh, supervise their vessels, uh, and ensure that their vessels are uh, are not at risk, are not derelict, they're not at risk of becoming derelict. Those stored vessels, however, uh, uh, create a perception that all boats at anchor are similarly situated, which as we know, uh, they're not. Uh, Commonly, uh, in lots of policy areas, the sins of a few tend to get visited upon the many, and the stored vessel is one of those uh, examples. The uh, county of Monroe, which is the Florida Keys, took the lead on that issue this year and proposed legislation to try to really take a finer look at these, quote, stored vessels and come up with a definition that uh, properly categorizes them and distinguishes them from responsible cruisers who anchor. And so ultimately, we passed a bill called Senate Bill 1666. It was sponsored by Senator Anna Ferris Flores of Miami and Representative Holly Rashine uh, of the Florida Keys and a Representative Ellen uh, Polsky of Palm Beach County, together working with all the state stakeholder groups, uh, including ACLCA and MTOA, the Fever Group and SC, SSCA, Boat US, and a whole host of others, we came up with carefully tailored language that defines a stored vessel as essentially one that has been abandoned, is not being supervised, and has been left at anchor without supervision uh, for more than 30 days in any one 60-day period uh, of time. Now. Um, as to authority to remove that vessel, the bill did not quite go that far. What it did do, however, is authorize the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission to perform a study to go around the state in all coastal communities and uh, document and assess the extent to which anchored vessels fit this definition of stored vessels and then report back to the legislature uh, on its findings uh, about the impact of the stored vessels on the freedom of uh, 
other anchored vessels and also the safety and security of the waterways. So we're about to begin that study period. In the interim, the, the FWC does have authority to remove derelict vessels, uh, which is to say vessels that uh, in effect have not only been abandoned but don't have any means of uh, uh, mechanized or sail means of locomotion of being able to, to be moved or transported. So there was some progress made on the stored vessels category, and uh, we're optimistic that that's going to be a, a crucial step toward getting those vessels removed and removing as well the image that all anchored vessels are simply abandoned and stored. Agreed. If we can do something about these long-term stored vessels, which are taking up a lot of space in the anchorages and some of the more popular areas where our members who are cruising through would like to be able to stay for a day or two or maybe three, um, that combined with the derelict vessels is such a huge issue. And I think it's a place where those of us who want to make sure that the freedom to anchor is maintained actually agree with those who don't want anchors, anchorages to be available. Uh, I think there's a lot of places where we agree more so than disagree. And, and the need to fix the long-term stored vessel and the derelict vessel issues are certainly one of them. And AGLCA, and I'm, I'm sure the other associations involved, does have some members who are waterfront property owners in Florida who are in favor of more anchoring restrictions. And I think if we can get to the point where we can get everyone in agreement that the biggest issues are the derelict and the stored vessels, perhaps we can reach some kind of common ground on that, which would be such a, a strong place to be, as opposed to where we've been, where there's just this, this constant uh, back and forth year after year on it. So, and to that end, Jerry, the bill that passed also had some provisions that helped to give some funding towards removing derelict vessels. Can you tell us about those? Indeed, the, the legislation authorized an increased portion of the fees that the state collects for the registration of vessels to be set aside and carved out and used by the FWC to be able to remove true derelict vessels. Uh, currently, we have a, uh, a host of provisions in statute that helps FWC define what a a true derelict vessel is, but there's not always the funding available for them to go out and remove these vessels, uh, which tends to be somewhat expensive. It requires a bit of marine salvage at times, and of course the vessel ultimately has to be removed from the water and then disposed of, and of course there's environmental concerns with that and a lot of reporting and regulations associated with it. So this bill includes uh, some language that helps them have a little more funding to go remove those vessels, which is a positive step for those of us who uh, responsibly anchor on the water. Jerry, another provision of this new law is uh, it, it basically adds some additional no discharge laws, which kind of raised some eyebrows among our membership because, of course, no discharge laws are already in existence. So tell us about this, this kind of new part of the law um, and where it came from. Indeed. Well, you know, in a more general sense, unauthorized discharge of sanitary waste from vessels into the water is another area of common agreement among those who at times want to limit anchoring and those of us who responsibly anchor. The, the devil, of course, is always in the details, and there is often a lot of misunderstanding, if you will, uh, about the current practices of vessels, their designs, and the, the three types of marine sanit 
sanitation devices, type one, type two, type three, and the existing laws, uh, both at the federal level and also in Florida, at least on the state level as well, that already uh, regulate and prohibit discharge of uh, untreated sanitary waste. However, there are still mis misperceptions about that. And in, in one particular area in the panhandle, uh, there was a particular senator who was receiving a lot of input about uh, discharges from vessels in uh, certain freshwater bodies in his area in the panhandle. That senator happened to be a chairman of the important committee through which this bill was passing through, and he was adamant that there be included a provision of government to establish uh, an additional discharge, non-discharge uh, zone which is a higher level of protection in certain freshwater body areas. Ultimately, that language did go through and it is, it is in the bill, although it was modified somewhat by requiring that there first be a request that DEP and I believe Coast Guard as well, uh, look at the proposed area and sign off on it first. Uh, right. But to your point, you are correct that that provision probably was not necessary, although it is fairly narrow and as I read the provisions, I don't see how it is actually going to adversely impact impact any of our members. So obviously, with, with these things that we've just outlined, all cruiser-friendly, all, uh, for the most part, very good news for our members. I, I do want to stress again that not all of our members are necessarily in agreement with this. As I said, we do have some waterfront uh, property owners in Florida and other places who would like to see anchoring limited. Um, so because of that, AGLCA, uh, at least, and I'm not sure about the other organizations, I know AGLCA and SSCA uh, don't use their general treasury funds to support this effort. We relied on contributions from members who were interested in uh, keeping the anchorages open. Uh, so I want to give a, a big thanks to all of those who contributed because it was many uh, and it enabled us to uh, fund Jerry's services for this session. And obviously Jerry did a great job for us once again, and we appreciate that, Jerry. Um, I do also want to clarify, we keep talking about this new law, but it is still awaiting signature by the governor, correct? That is correct. It has not actually been presented to him yet, even though the session is over. That bill will be presented to the governor shortly, and then he'll have 15 days to decide whether to sign the bill, uh, veto the bill, or take no action, in which case it becomes law uh, 15 days thereafter. Any um, prediction you can give us on what, we'll, what he'll do with that? I am fairly confident that he will sign this law. Um, this is a new governor, and so there is no precedent yet uh, on his views about these types of issues. But the general uh, consensus is that he will likely sign the bill. Okay. And uh, final question, Jerry, what do you see on the horizon for the future of this issue? Uh, well, specifically the anchoring we, issue. Sure. Well, certainly we, we continue to make progress in informing more and more elected members of the Florida legislature and the staffs of the committees. And I think the trend is generally in our favor. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, there are always going to be efforts within a state that's evolving and increasing in population as rapidly as the state of Florida. There's always going to be uh, new people who come to the Capitol and seek redress from their policymakers. And so we it would not be 
reasonable to assume that uh, because we are successful several years in a row that we you know can sit back and be silent or uh, fail to be vigilant you always have to be vigilant you always have to be present in the process and to favor those who show up and so we have to continue to show up i do believe however that we've got a strong host of uh, supporters uh, of voting in in cr the cruising lifestyle who have our backs and will continue to nurture those relationships and uh, and maintain a strong backdrop of support for our perspective on these issues. As we move forward, um, it's possible that um, we begin to get a little bit less conflict by reaching some types of compromises. Some examples are um, pr broader uh, promotion of the proof of pump out programs like they have in the Florida Keys. Uh, that's something that could be done by statute that, uh, that further encourages communities to put in place those programs using pump-out services at anchorages, uh, supporting some of the mooring fields, uh, certainly not to the exclusion of anchoring, but supporting uh, some of the communities, including their grant requests, to create some mooring fields to relieve the pressure on the, the opposition from uh, the waterfront property owners. Uh, other examples might be increasing penalties for illegal discharges uh, to create a further deterrent and a further uh, perception that uh, vessel owners are not engaged in that unauthorized activity. And finally, uh, we may look towards um, the statutes that currently would ban a small number of anchorages and perhaps uh, moving them more towards limitations on duration uh, rather than location, which would, would more precisely get to the issue of derelict vessels uh, and long-term stored vessels. Most cruisers uh, who are moving through the state of Florida or even Florida residents who uh, are anchoring offshore in their home state only do it for a limited period of time as opposed or as compared to long-term stored vessels. So that may be an area of compromise that would help begin to relieve some of this tension and give us less concern that each and every year we're going to have to spend resources to defend our freedom to anchor. Well said, Jerry. Uh, thank you again for all of your help this session. Um, uh, like, like we have both said, I think it was a big win and we've been uh, very happy to be working with you. So thank you for that and thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you, Kim, and thank you for your uh, longstanding leadership as the executive director of the AGLCA. You truly do have the backs of the cruising world uh, and I say world with a capital W. So many people enjoy the freedom of this lifestyle because of the work that you do, the work of the members of AGLCA, MTOA, the SSCA, and the Defeber Users Group, including their financial contributions. Our firm, Capital Access, is always proud uh, and honored to represent this community. And uh, of course, we're also very pleased to do it each year uh, that we're engaged at a reduced rate so that we can uh, jointly together do this as a team and continue to maintain that freedom that's a part of Florida's rich maritime history. Perfect. Thank you, Jerry. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.